I'm Eric Chemi, and this is Politely Pushy. Peter Capacciotti, CEO, founder of Blue On. I'm excited for this conversation because not every day do I get to interview a trained physicist from Columbia <laughs> University. So I'm feeling a little bit like I'm not smart enough to be part of this conversation here. I, I don't have a physics degree. I didn't found my own high-tech company. So I am I'm excited to chat with you. So Peter, just Real briefly, tell me about Blue On because anyone can go on the website and see. Okay, it's, it's HVAC, it's tech, it's a mobile app. But how do you how do you define it, and and what is this for? It's a great question because it's an evolution, right? So the company has gone through a pretty significant metamorphosis from a chemical R and D company to a full blown you know technology software company. And yeah, it's been an interesting journey, but really what we do is we support the HVAC industry by supporting the technicians in the field in a really unique way that hasn't been really ever attempted before because no one figured out how to monetize that. But basically we figured out how to monetize very um, comprehensive tech support to these, te there's 320,000 technicians that basically run the HVAC industry from the ground up in the US but they've been abandoned by the OEMs, manufacturers, suppliers, distributors, the whole supply chain. They don't have the training, they don't have the support, they don't have the, 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 the needs are not being met to get them to be able to do their job day to day. So we support them in everything from diagnosis to installation to replacing everything under the sun. And then we connect those technicians to their local distributors where they purchase all of their gear, parts, equipment, um, commodities, whatnot. And that's how we monetize it, by effectively making that acquisition much more efficient. And we can get into the sophistication of how we make that happen. But in the in its essence, it's a support ecosystem that makes the ability for a technician to come to your house or come to your commercial building and do that job about 50% faster. Um, and that is significant because the old HVAC industry as a whole is understaffed. There's a massive shortage of some skilled labor and so there's a much bigger demand and there is a supply of service. And so we're making the whole industry able to handle more demand, which helps everybody from the manufacturer down to the technician, down to the homeowner and in, in allowing that the whole industry to have to, to move at a much uh, faster pace and grow from a hundred billion dollar industry to maybe a hundred and thirty billion dollar industry because there's you know more more throughput which has been a limiting factor and getting worse every year as you know the technicians retire and less and less come into the field. So long, long, long-winded answer, but it's a support vehicle at the end of the day. It, it's funny you mentioned there's not enough labor there because I was waiting for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks a couple of years back because we had to get something fixed in our house related to the AC vents, and you couldn't even get a call back. You couldn't even get an email back, and this was someone who'd been to our house before. And you're like, did mm -hmm. I say something wrong? Are they just that busy? And 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 you just wish that when you have these issues, you want to be able to get someone who can send the body right away and get that fixed. Correct. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not the technician's fault. So that basically the whole industry has, has it, basically the industry runs, basically when I look at it, it runs on 1990s DOS in a 2022 world, right? And no one's, no one's brought the industry up. And so everything they do takes unbelievably long when it doesn't need to. And a lot of that's been built on, you know, the way the industry has grown up, the way the opacity has been put into place to benefit certain stakeholders. There's a lot to it, but we're reconnecting all these, all these different stakeholders in a more efficient way. 
And if, if when we get into it, I'll explain some of these nuances that will you won't believe is possible. Like you would never believe an industry could be happening in the current day under these under these conditions, but they are. Uh, and we're basically figuring out ways to remove those those uh, barriers. How how does a physics major from Columbia end up doing this? Your bio mentions you're, you're running a real estate practice before. So physics to real estate to HVAC. To, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't see the connection there. Tell me how this is all related. Yeah, well, yeah, it's probably, it's not related, but there's a journey that connects the dots. Yeah, so I was a, a physicist. I mean, from the time I could walk or talk, I was a physics guy. I'm always a seeker. You know, trying to figure out how the world works, how things uh, how things connect, how the universe got here. All those things are you know preoccupy my mind pretty much twenty four seven. And so yeah, I went went to Columbia. I was going to be a nuclear physicist. Uh, that was my career. It was set. I was an applied physics major. I was pretty much dead set on what I was what I was going to do. Um, I was working at the the, the uh, it was a Princeton Columbia joint venture, a Tokamak uh, Plasma Research Center at, at Columbia. That whole program got cut in uh, late in ninety one, late ninety one. Uh, which basically produced me as an unemployed physicist uh, in in that area, trying to figure out what to do with my life, and you know I had to pay the bills before you know back in the old days when your parents kicked you out of the house and you had to <laughs> you had to fend for yourself, um, and so yeah I had to basically figure out what to do um, with that opportunity that door closing after the feds cut the cut the program and so needed to get a job ended up getting a job at a real estate company which I thought would be a six month gig just to pay the bills but I figured out my next R and D gig. And got there, um, started to realize, you know, my skill set, my approach was really missing in the commercial real estate market back in the late early 90s. And six months turned to a year, a year turned to two years, ended up, you know, basically becoming a, a pretty interesting, you know, building an interesting team in real estate in the 90s and all the way up to 2010 really was incredibly lucrative. We ended up being, you know, basically the most most productive team in the country doing large commercial real estate transactions on behalf of large users building their campuses. So we would effectively build, you know, campus based upon X demand and X spec, you know, find a location, build it out, finance it, move them in. And, you know, these are like, you know, half a million square foot projects around the country, super lucrative, a lot of fun, but not R&D, not physics, not helping the world, not solving any big problems, just making money, which is all well and good. But after a while, it gets you, gets you a little depressed. So, um, can, I, can I jump in? Can I jump oh, in? I was yeah, going to sure. say, how long in that journey where it's like, oh, I thought I was going to be here for six months, but now I've been here for a few years. How long before it's like, you know what? I'm never going to be a physicist again. This is what I do now versus I need to get back to doing physics. Where, where along the way was it? Okay, that, that's gone now. I'm here now. I'm stuck. Yeah, it's interesting that that so that what happened was I became so successful so quick. So by the time I was like 27, 28, I was, you know, you know, re nationally recognized. I was just being sort of, uh, you know, very my ego was being stroked. Let's put it that way. Um, and so I was pretty enamored with that role all the way through maybe 2005, six, seven. You know what happened, to be honest, they started started meditating in 2007 um, and that really changed my life and started to become much more uh, focused on getting out and doing something meaningful. And by 2010, the itch was too strong. And I really just woke up one day and said, that's it, I got to get out. And I left, you know, left the industry kind of cold turkey. Everybody thought I was criminally insane because I had this incredible huge team. You know, we were, we were basically on top of the world and I just left, um, took a year off, got back into physics, jumped back into conferences. And then, you know, from there, this journey started and I started a 
a little seed fund with my own capital to bring in technologies that took advantage of unique physics properties, which is, which is really my my thing. I'm into like fringe physics and places where the, the standard model hasn't caught up and really started to put capital to work. And then the first company we founded was Blue On. And you know, long story short, I ended up taking over the CEO role back in 2018 after being the you know the founding a- uh, capital partner and the, and the you know founding equity partner back in the original days of 2011-2012. But yeah, that that's the 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 Cliff Notes version of how you go from a, a physics career to a real estate career. You abandon that real estate career because of a sort of a midlife crisis at age 37. Um, and get back into R and D under under a different whole different guy you know different um, uh, motivating principle. It, it's it's amazing. I'm 38, so I'm I'm right around that point where you're talking about. But but someone from the outside, if they look at Blue and they say, okay, it's an app, it's HVAC, it's standard technology, right? It's not mm-hmm. something that needs a physics degree. It's it's related, right? I mean, you need to know physics if you're trying to figure out okay, gas and pressures and temperatures and but but the reality of it is you don't need to be a physicist to do it. So this doesn't seem like R&D. This right. is, is more accessible. I'll put it that way. It doesn't require a PhD. So how did that end up? How is, how is this really still related to a, a physics project? Right. So this is, where this, this, this is where the story gets really interesting. So Bluon initially was a chemistry R&D company. So the reason we founded Bluon, so you've, you've heard of Freon, right, um, which is also known as R22. That's the refrigerant that really yep. runs the world. Um, Freon. I got some was, Freon going right now because it's a uh, hot here right. in New Jersey. <laughs> right. So remember, remember, remember the whole ozone layer yep. issue back in the you know '90s. CFCs. So, bingo. CFCs and HCFCs. So those were being uh, phased out. So R22, otherwise known as Freon, was on this scheduled phase out, which just happened in 2020. And back in 2011, 2012, all of the known replacements for Freon were, in a word, terrible. Right. They all were actually environmentally more damaging than Freon, believe it or not, were worse for the environment, worse for global warming, um, less efficient, less capacity, just generally not great, not good. And so the reason we formed Bluon was to develop a refrigerant that would be better than Freon, but work in all of the $2 trillion of equipment that needed to be dealt with as a result of this phase out. Which and is HVAC, that, which is HVAC yeah. equipment, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so this is the R and D origin part of Blue on here. Okay. Correct. And so, yeah. So from 2011 to 2015, that's all we did was was chemistry R and D. We were pure chemistry. That was it. And we were testing thousands of different formulas, different ways to blend refrigerants, different nuances. Discovered a lot of a lot of interesting phenomena that were not well understood by HVAC, which are people are catching up to now. All are the simulation coat. Are you in a lab? Like, what does yeah. that look like? Who are the customers? Yeah, yeah. No customers, just pure R and D. Okay. Just li- literally uh, uh, venture funded, just literally um, doing research on trying to figure out what chemistry we could, we could put together to produce an outcome that would make a refrigerant that was both environmentally beneficial had the capacity and the efficiency and would work in this existing equipment. It, by the way, it's incredibly difficult. And that's why all of the other uh, refrigerants were, were not great because it's a it's your you're dealing with a difficult um, equation because it can't be flammable, can't be environmentally toxic, has to have certain characteristics to run on this equipment. So it's very limiting into what you can use. Right. So you have to really do some uh, deep noodling, as I say, to to figure it out. And we actually stumbled on to re- really a remarkable formula, which we produced in 2015, uh, which is known as R458A, which is its uh, ASHRAE number. 
And then this is where the journey begins. So we get out, we get, we spend two years in approval, get our EPA approval, get our ASHRAE approval. So we get out in the market in you know 2017 and we run into this wall. We had all, and because of my commercial real estate uh, career, I had all of these, you know, CBRE, we had um, Jones Lang, we had LBA, we had Griffin, we had all these large real estate play EOP that were willing to move forward on retrofits because they had the same reason to get rid of Freon. But we ran into the technicians and technicians, you know, they can't say yes, but they can say no. And so they had been burned by prior replacement refrigerants, having problems putting them in, breaking equipment, difficulties. You know, like I've heard this story before. These scientists think they're going to come in with their new chemicals. It never yeah. works. And I don't want to waste my time retrofitting and changing and we're gonna have to go back and change it again like you can just sort of see that that conversation right these eggheads think they came up with something and it's not <laughs> going to work because it never works it never works and then yeah. and to their credit the historical ones had not worked they've been they've been burned they broke equipment it's always their problem right, right. unless you're albert einstein why is this going to be any better than the ones we've already seen bingo bingo yeah. so you know i've, re I've re at that point i kind of renamed technicians like they're the guardians of HVAC innovation. And that's why nothing gets innovated in HVAC. Because if you don't get the technicians as your champion, your advocate, they'll block anything, right? If they don't want to use it, it's not happening, period, hard stop. So how do you get 320,000 technicians to not block your product, to actually want to use it, to champion it, to advocate for it? And that was our conundrum. We're like, okay, well, how the hell are we gonna do this? So we figured out, okay, well, bright idea. Let's take all of the models that are out there. How many can there be, we thought? Well, turns out there's several hundred thousand unique models of equipment out there that are all different and unique, different architectures, systems, wiring diagrams, all that's unique. But we'll create sort of an app, a database, where you plug in the model number and it tells you exactly what to do to retrofit that piece of equipment safely and efficiently. So we set up on that task in 2017, 2018, but along the way, Besides that process, we put all the manuals, troubleshooting guides, service bulletins, wiring diagrams, control packages, technical specifications, all of that information related to those specific model numbers. So we had about 40,000 model numbers in the system by the end of 2018, which is a Herculean task. We didn't realize how big the problem was. We would never even try it if we knew how big it was. And as a result of us doing that, technicians started to use our app, not for our product, but just because that data was there and no one had ever assembled all that information in one place, easily accessible brand agnostically right across all brands. Remember technicians work on, you know, a, a train, a carrier, a Sanyo, a Mitsubishi, you know, a York, a Lennox all in the same day. So they, they need something that's brand agnostic. Otherwise, what's the point, right, of the tool? And so because no one had ever an incentive to create a brand agnostic support ecosystem database, we did because we had a refrigerant that works in all of them. So we accidentally stumbled into producing a brand agnostic support database that was being used not for our original purpose, but for all day support because of the data we had put forth. And so we were this 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 community started growing at an exponential pace 5,000 10,000 20,000 30,000 40,000 50,000 technicians were joining using the app daily like all day and we're like holy Christmas this is a much bigger issue than a much bigger opportunity than the refrigerant and around 2019 we started to lean into that part of the business figuring out hey we'll figure out how to monetize this later this is just
too sticky, too important, too meaningful. Let's lean into it and then we'll figure out how to monetize it. And so that was a really big moment in the company's evolution where the refrigerant is still our, our revenue source, but our business, like 90% of our effort was in the, the app, the community, the support, and then creating more and more tools to add to that support ecosystem to make it the one and only option for technicians in the field. So this, that's an amazing story. Thank you for sharing it. So you think back, okay, we're trying to sell this refrigerant, but they don't want to use it. So we got to put together all these documents so that they can understand how best to you know use it in the different brands and the different types of machines they're going to work with. We didn't realize how difficult of a task it would be. And then we were up to 40,000 of these. And if someone had said at the beginning, it's going to be 40,000, maybe you would have said, maybe we need to shut this company down <laughs> or do something else or give up. So you start, <laughs> it's sort of like in quicksand, right? Like you start a little bit and now you're coming. You're committed to the whole thing. And then it sounds like, exactly. okay, people like it for the doc, the documentation, the support, the refrigerant, they can take it or leave it. They don't really care. I, I like what you've done over here. So it is funny. You, in a way, stumbled into it because you didn't know. Totally. You, you fell into it. So what happens? Like, so we're in 2022. What has happened to that refrigerant business? Are you even still doing that? Or are you all in on the support now? No, the refrigerant business is, is taken off, right? It's absolutely uh, so it's going still there. You're doing both. Yep. Yep. We are, we are, you know, because our platform has gotten so giant and so big, and we are now, you know, 40% of all technicians in the US are on our platform. So basically we have almost half the whole market on the platform, which is, you know, no one even comes close to that in this fragmented industry. So we are definitely, that's our, that's a, you know, we're tackling a hundred billion dollar problem with the support. We're tackling a half a billion dollar problem with the refrigerant. So it's a much, it's a much different animal relative to potential. But the refrigerant, you know, we'll probably do 13, 14, 15 million in sales this year, um, growing at about, you know, 150% year over year growth rate. And we're looking to partner with other people on that product so we can become totally brand agnostic in the future. But right now, the refrigerant is still spectacular. It's part of our part of our business, but it does create a little bit of a problem. We don't want to really have a brand as a support vehicle because, we, you know, you don't want to be thinking that you have some preference, right? Because we're trying to be agnostic to all things on support. And our whole monetization of the platform is connecting that technician to their local distributor to make uh, e-commerce transactions possible for the first time in HVAC. And again, you want to be agnostic in, in a way that you're a trusted advisor and not you know, have any kind of bias that would be seen or perceived or otherwise. So yeah, there is a bit of an issue there, a long-term, but medium-term, it's still uh, an important part of the business and provides a lot of revenue uh, for the business as well. So walk me through, if I'm, look, I'm living in the suburbs, I own my own house, I have to call the various, you know, heater repair people, the, the AC repair people, boilers, like the various components, and someone comes, they're typically from a small local company, right, of however yeah. many, you know, it's awesome. never that big, right? It's maybe 10 people, maybe 50 people, or maybe it's a one guy operation. So smaller. Yeah. Yeah. So like there's a lot of times like one to five people operations, right? Exactly. So exactly. Yep. Tell me how, how would I notice the difference if I'm an end consumer who I barely mm -hmm. even know how my AC works in the first place, how my heater works in the first, like right. if I don't even know how it works, I certainly don't know what they're doing, but when they come to my house and they're looking around, how is, how is blue on involved? Like what, what is happening and how might I notice that difference? That's the best setup question of all time. So 
So you so before and even now in most instances, you, you, we've all had this experience. The technician comes to the house, diagnoses the problem, talks to the homeowner. Hey, you got this, you got that, you got that. I got to fix this. I got to replace that. Whatever it may be, and then they disappear right to the van and they're gone. Or they're either they either left or they're gone for an hour, hour and a half. And everybody's like, where did he go? Well, where they went, and this is where the problem is that we're solving. Technicians never know what they want to buy. This is true until they speak to the local distributor. So, for example, goes to your house, realizes your condenser motor is shot, got to replace that motor. He, he knows the model number he's working on but he doesn't know the part that he needs to buy to replace that part because the part number and the cross-reference to that part number is not data that that technician has access to. So they have to call the distributor and say, hey, I'm working on a York XYZ 925. Um, I got a condenser motor here, I got to replace it. And then that local supplier distributor has to do the research, the recon, the cross-referencing to determine what they can sell them that will work in that situation. And that can take 10 minutes, it could take an hour, it might have to call three different suppliers. It's a nightmare and that's every single transaction goes down that path, regardless of what they want to replace. So imagine walking into Costco and every single thing was a cardboard box with a number on it, you have no idea what's inside it. That's basically a technician's life. They don't know what they want until they speak to a distributor. They decode it, figure out what to buy them and sell them something. And half the time it's the wrong thing. It goes back and forth getting the right thing. So what we've done is we've taken that technician who's in the field. We know what model they're working on. We have a database of 40 million cross-references, 3.5 million parts and 380, 350,000 models that lets that knowledge be absorbed by the technician behind the scenes when they send that request over to that local distributor, that local distributor gets all that data streamlined based upon what model they're working on and tells them every cross-reference potential inventory option to sell them. All they have to do is look and do I have one of these nine things? Check, I do, sell, send. So all that hour cross-reference research, connect the dots is gone. It's all done automatically by us knowing what the model is that that tech is working on and having all of the options database of all these brands, all these parts, all these cross references baked into the cake. So when that, when that distributor gets that request, they can just pick from their inventory based on whatever option they have from the selection I've given them on what fits the bill for that request. And that's a Herculean task because the sheer number of SKUs and cross-references is mind-blowing in HVAC. That's why no one's ever tried to do it. It's just too big. And so on a brand agnostic basis, because who would be able to monetize it? We can now because we're, we're, we're so big on the demand side. So we're, that's how you notice it. So that hour and a half would take two seconds. And now that, that technician would give you a, a quote and go get the, get the part within you know, five minutes versus either tomorrow or two hours in the van trying to figure it out and you get the right part the right time the first time and you'd fix it immediately. So who is paying for this app? Where does the money come from? Is it just they pay by mm -hmm. the month or there's some percentage for the transaction? How does this work? Yeah, so the key is for technicians, it's all free. And that's, I really, really like that aspect because these technicians are salt of the earth, blue collar, just the best human beings you could ever meet. And so we're all about in service to them. And so who pays is the distributor pays a small take rate because they're saving like an hour of work. So they're giving us a small take rate on that order. 
So that PO that gets sent back, we take a clip, a small clip on that transaction. So it's a $100 billion market, about $25 billion in part sales. So we're taking a small commission on those transactions that are created by our, our technicians that we support in the field. So why do you think there's been this this lack of e-commerce ability in the HVAC world, right? Because I think about typically, yeah, it's that worker comes to the house, it's the contractor, it's it's you know, it's usually a blue collar person and they come and it's a lot of clipboards and paper and right, it's calling for the distributor numbers and I'm gonna have to get back to you because there are a million parts and and they're the experts, right? Whenever I try to fix something, right. you know, you get that manual and it's it's just here are the list <laughs> of possible parts that it could be and you're just like, yeah, I, like I don't no. even I don't even want to begin this. I'm sure I'm smart enough to figure it out, but it will take me hours and hours and hours to figure it out. So why do you think there's been this, you know, the industry's missed the mark on e-commerce? Well, fundamentally, the real reason they missed the mark is because they didn't, no one really took a step back and said, hey, our big problem here is that technicians, contractors don't know what they want to buy until the distributor tells them. So you can't have e-commerce if the buyer doesn't can't figure out what they want to buy without third-party intervention. It's like they know, they period, know what right? they want. I guess they just don't know what the model number is, right? They kind of like, I know it's right. this particular part. I don't know what I'm supposed to type in in order to get that thing to show up. But but literally, it, it's, it's, it's hard to express how complicated it is. So the, each part number could have up to... 10 alias part numbers that are the exact same part made by or, or sold by different entities, but it's the True. exact same part with different part numbers. That's True. layer one. Layer two, you've got compatible parts that are the same spec that would work in that instance. Then you've got parts that require some modification to work in that instance. So you could have up to 50 choices for one particular part, and it's all based on what the inventory is that particular supplier has. Can that work in this instance? So it's matching those two things together is super complicated. You need a really incredible uh, database that can do cross-reference on a, on, a, on a you know myriad of brands in real time to solve that problem, coupled with the inventory of that local distributor, which is all over the map because distributors are fragmented. You know, you know, the biggest distributor is 6% of the market, right? These are little mom and pop shops across the country. Same with contractors, right? To your point, you know, 65% of all contractors are five men or less, right? So they're tiny companies all around the country. So yeah, the, the point being is no one's ever, because you have to do it on a brand agnostic basis. I could solve it for carrier and solve it for train, but who cares? Because technicians don't want to have 10 apps. They need one place to go that solves their day, which is seven or eight brands because they're going from house to house, building to building. So no one would ever even try to tackle it because it's just too big. We've heard this constantly, too hard, too hard, too hard. Even from the biggest companies, yeah, we can't do it, we can't do it. And we were able to do it because we were, I guess we were naive enough to, to start this process and then became so into it that we were able to apply, you know, we're, we're a bunch of geek physicists, engineers, computer scientists, software engineers, developers. We're not your HVAC people, right? So we brought a different toolkit to the to the to the game and we're solving it in an entirely different way and we've married software engineers and hvac technicians at the hip that spend all day together that allow that uh, information to be properly correlated because you can't just give the problem to a bunch of devs because hvac is such like a you need a decoder ring to understand it all so you got to have technicians at the table with the with the software engineers to create the solutions 
Yeah, this does remind me whenever I've had to buy a part for something in the home, right? Just something basic. And then you go, let's say on Amazon, you're like, this part number with the three dashes and the letters and numbers, that's compatible with the thing that I have. And it's compatible with these 10 things. And, and that's just for something stupid at home, right? So I can imagine if this is high tech stuff, you're right, it's 50 possible choices. So I like the way you present it because I think now I, I better understand what's happening. I, I want to ask, did you have to change who you were hiring? Because this was my question. You started touching on it, right? It was a company that was starting you know, to do something in one version, right? And then it shifted a little bit more to, you know, a mobile app tech. You need more developers, but you need to stay married to what the what the techs are doing. Did it change your profile of what a Blue On employee would be? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we originally had a technician team when we did, you know, um, consultative work with contractors in the field, but that that was for like you know in field work as we grew the tech support from the app we had to grow that we have we have 24 7 tech support for any technician in the field for any question under the sun so we had to grow that team for that aspect but those same people needed to be almost like uh multi multi-talented where they could be a technician but they also had a little bit of computer science knowledge which by the way is like a unicorn in the HVAC world. So we had to find these these unique individuals that were technicians, but were also very computer savvy that could work with our software team. At the same time, we built our software team from a three person shop. We have 27 developers now uh, on the team. So yeah, we become you know we we became a team of R and D ops people with a few technicians to a team of technicians and developers. That is the bulk of our our team, which is about you know, 55 people out of our hundred, which are just technicians and developers that are that are spending the entire time either doing tech support or working together on the development of the database and the application of the front end. But yeah, no, it's totally changed uh, who we are. And we're, we're such a unique blend of, we have this really interesting culture of these, these young millennials, these, you know, salt of the earth, 50 to 60 year old technicians, and then these software developers in the middle. That's just a very unusual com combination of you know, of just really great people, but they would never find themselves together in you know, any other place. Where do you see opportunities to expand out of HVAC, right? Because there's so many other, right? There's plumbing, there's electrical, there's you know all the various parts. As I sit here in my house and I think about all the ways that my house can break and all the different types of people that I've had to call, have you thought about expanding this out? Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're still a ways to go. And HVAC is is giant. It's the hundred billion dollar industry that no one's heard about, right? It's a giant industry, um, and it needs a lot of help. And I think we can we can you know build a you know multi billion dollar business just in in that instance. However, the same approach of of effectively monetizing support through this benefit to because it benefits everybody, right? If technicians can do more work, manufacturers make more equipment, distributors sell more equipment, customers, you know, it's all it's a you know, the obvious uh, trickle down effect. So yeah, electrical plumbing are on the radar. We're certainly looking at that. Um, the, the little differences are not nearly as screwed up as HVAC. I mean, HVAC is the most kind of uh, broken of those industries that has the most to gain. The inefficiencies are much bigger in HVAC because the complexities are much larger and they've been embedded for decades, right? And so unwinding those complexities un, you know, creates so much efficiency so fast everybody sees them that's why we've had so much demand from the from the distributors we, we almost have we'll have you know over 2,000 stores that have joined our network in the first year which is about a third of all stores in the country 
because they can see the benefit. It's so tangible, right? As opposed to other industries where maybe you're solving this much of a problem versus that much of a problem. But it's the same approach. And certainly we've, we've, we've shown we can prove we can, we can make a business out of it by creating that support in the uh, ecosystem. So do you have a sales team that's out there pounding the pavement and calling stores, distributors, the, I mean, the contractors themselves are such small operations that I don't even know if you, if you go and call such small shops, what's the way that you sell and get people to start using this? Yeah. So the app we used to do, we still do a lot of advertising, but the main draw to the app originally was YouTube advertising. So technicians, are a unique bunch, right? Because they're pretty homogenous in terms of what they do, what kind of humans they are. So we figured out where they all hang out. They basically watch about, there's about 30 YouTube channels that teach you, you know, all about how to diagnose and what, you know, HVAC technicians love to learn about different nuances and different equipment types. And so we just advertise the hell out of those channels to bring technicians to the platform to sign up for the app. Which, which now word of mouth is by far our biggest driver. So the advertising is, is only driving about 20% of our new members, which is about 7,000 new members a month is our typical uh, per month uh, growth onto the platform. And again, that's about two and a half percent of the market every month jumps on in addition to the current amount. But on the distributor side, that's been a different animal, right? That's a sales team approach. So we have a sales team, a pretty small team of 11 people but they've been just punching over their weight unbelievably um, over the last several months. And that's because we had this big anchor of the largest membership in HVAC, which made everybody listen to us, right? If we had that community, this idea would be poo-pooed immediately. But because we had a third of the market on our platform, they had to listen to us. And so that was the secret. Build the community first, distributors will listen to you, and then they'll come on. Doing it the other way would not work, I don't think. Um, so we've been able to build the distribution network really fast based upon the very large uh, technician membership um, community. Three words that come to mind. I'm curious your thoughts on them right now in the news. <clears throat> supply chain problems, labor shortage, and inflation. And I'm sure you're seeing some of it from your broad macro point of view. What are the trends? What are the problems? What are you seeing? Yeah, supply chain being the big one, which is a huge benefit to us. The, the, our platform coming online this year is you, know, you couldn't ask for a better perfect storm of uh, demand. Because imagine a supply chain problem means of those 50 items I talked about earlier, maybe only five of them are available you know, in, in the U.S. So having that cross-reference capability to produce the solution to the question of what part I need becomes more and more valuable as a supply chain gets more and more broken because you have less and less options. So you need more complexity to figure out which one to use, even if it's one that has to be modified. So number one, supply chain helps us. We solve a lot of those problems and make distributors more um, useful in those situations. On, this, on the labor side, that's a huge issue. I mean, technicians, there's two technicians retiring for everyone joining the trade. And the ones joining the trade don't have the benefit of the mentor apprentice relationship that used to be part and parcel of the industry. It's kind of faded away. So these new technicians who learn differently also, these Gen Zers do not learn like Gen Xers at all. And so they're, they're, they're in an industry that's still trying to teach them like they're Gen Xers, but these guys are don't learn that way. So it's, it's a bit of a problem and we're solving that issue by giving them the support and methodology of learning the trade in a way that suits 
that type of brain, which is more of an indexing brain than a memorizing brain, as, as we all know now. But yeah, so that, that problem is huge. And that really is, is where we're getting a lot of traction from the unions, the trades who really like what we're doing and are using us as an example of how to how to build a trade in the you know in the 2022 where you're where you're attracting a different type of uh, potential technician than you were 20 years ago. Um, but yeah, there's about a hundred thousand technician shortage, right? This this industry needs about a hundred thousand more technicians to make it at par. I can't add a hundred thousand techs, but I can make the three hundred thousand technicians thirty percent more productive with our with our tools and our technology, which is the next best thing uh, we can do. And inflation, you know, all of that is interconnected with these technicians becoming, you know, more valuable in their own trade. I mean, you can be a twenty-two-year-old tech in a lot of these markets and make six figures, you know, two years in. So it's you can make a, you can make a decent living. Uh, just a matter of you know understanding how to get into it and how to get how to get yourself trained up. So you've had an amazing career, right? You've, I'm sure when you were in college, you didn't think, oh, one day I'm going to be doing an HVAC app, right? Like, what, what is it about <laughs> your personality, your skill set that you could be a physicist, you could be very successful in the real estate business, and now you're leading a tech company in the HVAC space, which itself is marrying two different worlds. What, what is it that you think God has given you genetically or, or skill-wise that allows you to have had multiple lives like this? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think it's because I am I have a, a gift of seeing big and small simultaneously, so I can see I can see the big picture in ways that most people can't. So I can see where the, the, the nuanced challenges are within a supply chain and industry macro perspective, same in real estate, that's how we were successful. But then I'm really, where my brain really goes is on the micro, right? Is how to solve these super, you know, very tiny micro issues that all that all add up to the macro. And I think that's, that's a unique talent where you can be big picture, but also in the weeds at the same time, figuring out the solutions that solve that one, that one component of the big picture. But what I really excel at is understanding why things don't work right and then figuring out how to, how to solve those big picture problems, but also at the same time being able to dive into the ways in which those need to get solved. It's one thing to say, hey, this thing is broken because of this problem. But what are the little things you got to deal with to fix that big picture problem with the small solutions? And I think so. I've got a you know I'm a super math quant kind of brain, but I'm 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 obsessed with understanding the the macro trends around why things don't work right, and I'm obsessed with making things work right. It kind of drives me crazy, and so I think that's it. I mean, in real estate, there's, there was you know a lot of things broken. In real estate still are. Uh, in HVAC, you've got 50 years of embedded status quo activity that's led to a lot of just inherent complete um broken methodologies of way the various stakeholders interact and those haven't no one's ever tried to tackle them because people are still making a ton of money either as a result of those problems or in lieu of those problems it hasn't been a lot of motivation to fix them but they're there right and to fix them you free up all of this potential in an industry that needs more you know, needs more supply effectively, needs more um, um, throughput is the best way to say it. I, I was going to end it, but you said something that makes me want to ask one more question. So a lot of people are making money because of how it works. Who does not want you to succeed? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think HVAC has, has really benefited from uh, opacity. So there's been an opaqueness 
that they've all become accustomed to and and to somewhat dependent on or at least you know desirable on so you've got you know as a customer as a homeowner you never know what anything costs because you can't go to a supply house and ask them they won't tell you right so you can't just walk into a distributor and buy the motor or the part or the you know xyz component without being of an account there or being a distributor there's like a, a wall of, of price knowledge there transparency and then of course the the oems that make the parts don't want you to know that you can buy the same part number over here with a different part number for half the price it just has a different name on it but it's the same part so there's a lot of opacity that's made a lot of people a lot of money and when you start to bring in all this data the transparency sort of comes in and takes away that opacity making things more productive efficient and cost effective but there's going to be winners and losers that are used to you know being in that opaque position that makes them 2x margin on the same component that's the same damn part as this one which just got a different number on it um, and then the, having the you know the, the knowledge of what the customer pays up through that supply chain so yeah there's a transparency has been sort of uh, pushed back on HVAC but it's here to stay and you really can't get rid of it as it as big data becomes so prominent so we're sort of in that perfect storm of when this transparency comes to be but making sure we're taking advantage of it on an equal brand agnostic playing field so there isn't any specific winners and losers it's all it's a one time like our database you can never introduce individually we had to do it at like one here it is everybody gets access to it so there wasn't anybody freaking out because everybody had it at the same time but still you know that's a lot of transparency where there was none just you know <laughs> a moment ago so it's an interesting question for sure super fascinating so people if anyone's listening and they say i, I need to get a piece of this company i want to buy a piece of this is this going to be a, a public company at some point are you guys taking on extra investors because i my imagine people are going to hear this and think this is still going to grow and and i want to be a partner what are they supposed to do they call you up yeah yeah. Well, we did. We just we just closed our um, our latest round of financing about uh, five months ago. So you know, for for the next year or so, we're we're in a good shape. But yeah, we will be additional, like, like any other company, raising additional money. But they can always reach out to us at you know um, at info at blueon.com and and ask you know whatever they want to ask. We can get back to them. We our new website's launching next week, which I would check out. The current website is pretty dated, but it's all all the new stuff will be available in about a week, ten days, give or take. So give that a look. But yeah, you can always reach out to us at info at blueon.com and uh, happy to answer your questions. But yeah, we going public, not in anywhere, not like in the next year or so. Um, we're still cranking and trying to, you know, build up, build our, our whole platform up and build this monetization scheme up, which we're in the middle of this year. But really exciting. I think the road to a multi-billion dollar company is pretty straightforward for us. We just have to execute over the next 18 months. Peter, this has been fascinating. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to walk me through this nuance and thank you for making it accessible so that I could understand it, that you not, you know, not so much dumbed it down, but you made it, okay, I understand what you're saying now and I have a much better appreciation for what's happening in that van when they go back, when they leave the house and they go back to the van for a few minutes to figure out what's going on. Peter, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks a lot. Really appreciate the time. Thank you to my guest and thanks for listening. Subscribe to get the latest episodes each week and we'll see you next time.